And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome in to the Bat Around, a Saturday edition on June the 10th, and one that we'll be solo flying on. Craig Heist at uh, Nats Park, getting ready for the Nats affair with uh, the Texas Rangers. And he's got some duty early on, uh, right about now. He's at Dusty Baker's presser, uh, pregame presser. So Craig Heist has shifted gears on us, and he's going to be on about 10.38. Mike Shallon, uh, regular on the program, who was a uh, senior sports columnist with the New Hampshire Union Leader, will join us in about 15 minutes, 10.17 or thereabouts, for 16, 17 minutes on the show, and we'll talk about a few topics uh, burning up there in Boston, including David Price, life without uh, David Ortiz, and whether or not that seat under John Farrell could get hot, uh, very hot indeed, if the, um, if the Boston Red Sox slump. They've been playing a little bit better baseball, although the, I'm talking wins and losses, although the, when they were in here, they did not look very good. Uh, it was a sluggish Oriole team that won the first two games but then lost the second two games, um, and that got them out of town and uh, – We'll, we'll see. Boston Red Sox, uh, three and a half, three games behind New York Yankees. Um, at 11.05, Bill Matson from MLB.com, the podcast segment and uh, section, and it's called Newsmakers. Correct, Bonza? That is the name. You can, you can hop on the mic. I don't mind having a... Yeah, it's called Newsmakers. Sorry. Newsmakers. I forgot the mic was off. And his most current ones are, he's got one on David Price, the 10-year anniversary from his being the number one draft pick in all of baseball out of Vanderbilt. And he's Andrew got one, McCutcheon, McCutcheon and Clint Hurdle, uh, talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I have not listened to that, so I'm not sure whether it's about the Pirates' travails or actually more on how good they've been like the Orioles the past five years. Uh, and at 10, at 11.30, a uh, longtime Oriole um, batting coach and been under Buck Showalter, uh, has been the roving batting coach, Terry Crowley will be with us. And he played a long time in the major leagues. And uh, Terry was a great pinch hitter. And uh, he had a sweet swing, Terry Crowley. The king of swing, they used to call Crowley, also known as the Crow, a uh, good friend for a number of years, and we'll talk about some of the, the real hitting prospects in this organization, whether there are any and what he thinks of them. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, Trey Mancini and what Terry Crowley saw in him not one year ago, but two years ago when he was playing at Bowie um, back then. Um it's a little bit of a heavy heart as we hit the airwaves today. A little bit of a rough week. Not a little bit, uh, a rough week this week. Uh, Buzz Battaglia, a friend of mine for the past 28 years. I met Buzz in 1989 when I was forging out 
to do the stand the fan thing where I would buy airtime from uh, radio stations. And at that time, I had negotiated to deal with WCAO that was going to have me paying them, I think it was $26,000 over the 26 weeks of the baseball season. And then I set out to sell advertising to cover that and make a profit. And Buzz Battaglia was kind enough through an intermediary, a Mr. Manny Klein, who was the media director at my brother's advertising agency back then. Uh, he made a couple calls on my behalf, not to clients of TBC, Trahan Burden and Charles, but just to people he knew and vouched for me. And Buzz uh, bought uh, an initial package and was with me a couple of years then. And then um, he took off. And then when the Ravens got to town, we tried to do a football camp together. Um, and, um, and we did a couple other things. And then when Pressbox started, uh, Buzz was good enough to uh, bring us Salvo Auto Parts on as a sponsor. And he came on, did some writing for us, helped us with distribution. He was a, just a, immensely helpful in the formative years of Pressbox. Buzz had been uh, having some health problems, many of them uh, related to diabetes. Uh, he seemed to be just about over that spate of them. And I'm talking about a spate of uh, problems that were three, four years in the makings. Uh, had pneumonia several occasions, but was always indefatigable with his spirit. Uh, and he loved doing that radio show, The Coach's Buzz, which I'm proud I named I named that his column uh, in Press Box in the first uh, year or so that he wrote for us. He wrote Rec Sports column called The Coach's Buzz. And then uh, when, we, when Press Box gave up doing its radio, Buzz said, hey, I want to do this. And I kind of had a talk with him, and he took it and ran. He got Salvo in, got Farmers and Merchants Bank. Uh, he got a bunch of uh, sponsors. Then about – Three years into that, he hooked up with Miles Goodman, uh, Miles who had so ably run the Ed Mulatalo Foundation and the Matt Catula Foundation and then the Haloti Nadas Foundation. But he, he really brought that show to a different level, and the two of them loved working together and creating a thing uh, for that. We had him on the TV show a couple times. Uh, always loved Buzz Battaglia. He will be missed uh, and uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, Bunny, and his children, John, Maria, Vicky, and Joe. Uh, Joe follows in his footsteps as a football coach. Uh, he's at Bethany College in uh, West Bethany, uh, West Virginia, I think it is. I talked to him yesterday. Uh, he's got some exciting things and decisions to make about his career. But uh, the family's doing well. Uh, the funeral was today, is today at uh, 11 or 11.30, St. Joseph Church out in Texas, Maryland. Uh, I won't be able to make it, but I did stop by yesterday to the Ruck Funeral Home. On a more personal note, lost my mother-in-law this week, uh, who passed away last Saturday. She turned 90 years of age, Helene uh, Schumann-Levy. Uh, and uh, Helene uh, had been battling some problems over the last year and a half to two years, and uh, she she also had a great spirit during her fight. Uh, she did not die in any pain. She went peacefully. We had the funeral and the first day of Shiva up in New York on Thursday. 
um, and she will be missed. And to all of those that have been sending uh, a Facebook messages and tweets and everything, we're just overwhelmed. My wife Jane and I overwhelmed with the uh, outpouring of uh, friendship and camaraderie in a tough time. All right, speaking of tough times, uh, it's nowhere near as serious as uh, what I just talked about, losing life. But doesn't it seem like the life has gone out of the Orioles 2017 campaign right now? It sure does. We know we had that 4-14 and 14 stretch where I think we lost seven, six or seven straight games that were one-run games. And that could end up being the, um, the stretch in the season that ends up really being so devastating because the team rebounded to have some big wins, but – a couple of weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, in fact, we were in Houston. We lost on a Friday night. We lost pretty bad, I think, on Friday night against Houston. I said on my Facebook Live show after, after that game, I said, hey, I, I, we've got 15 games coming up uh, after, after the New York Yankees. Uh, I mean, excuse me, after the Astros, including the first two of the Astros series, and then – uh, then three against the Yankees at home, four at home against Boston, two at home against Pittsburgh, and uh, the one against the Nationals, and then three more against the Yankees. I said at the time that the Orioles are going to have to really pull this together and go nine and six or eight and seven. Well, it was looking pretty good going into the Nationals game Thursday night. The Orioles were six and five with four games left to play. And, you know, if they split, they're eight and seven. If they win three out of four, they're nine and six. And they would have been right there with the New York Yankees. Well, right now we're back to being four and a half games out of first place. These two games tonight at 7.15 on Fox and tomorrow at 105 on Masson are absolutely um, – I don't think it's too early in the season to say they're, they're kind of critical uh, because things could – Tampa's playing some good baseball – Despite the fact they lost Kevin Kiermeyer for two to three months, uh, they're playing some good baseball. They've got an apt replacement for him named Malik Smith, who's a stolen base freak, and he may, in fact, be more dynamic. Um, he may, in fact, be more dynamic than Kevin Kiermeyer, not defensively, but offensively. He stole three bases last night to up his total to six for the season. Uh, but they're coming on. Toronto has stumbled again. They've fallen back to seven and a half. But these two games, absolutely critical for the Baltimore Orioles. And who's going to pitch those games? Well, the, going into the season, the guys you were hoping would be one and two in the Orioles' uh, pitching food chain, uh, starting pitching-wise. Tonight, Chris Tillman, uh, off of his first, in my opinion, first really accomplished start last Sunday, uh, last Sunday, his first accomplished start against the Boston Red Sox, where he reached 94 on a couple occasions on the gun. Uh, he will go against Luis Severino again that game tonight on uh, Fox, not Masson, at 715. Um, then tomorrow afternoon was supposed to be Kevin Gaussman against Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka apparently has been pushed back at least a day um, I think the, they're starting to look, the Yankees are, at how he pitched in Japan and maybe how much it's taking its toll on him. 
they will they have listed undecided and right now it may be Chad Green that starts that game for the New York Yankees tomorrow again at 105 from the New Yankee Stadium. Uh, so these two games really pivotal. The Orioles then go on the road for four games against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, and uh, I don't have to tell you, you know, when I say something is, is pivotal, it doesn't mean that the second those games are over uh, doesn't make it uh, any, any less pivotal. Uh, you know, in other words, the Orioles could win these two games, next two games, then the Chicago White Sox series becomes kind of crucial. Um, trying to – is your internet working right now? There it is. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. No, it's working. I don't know what was going on. Um, after that, the Orioles will then travel to um, – no, they come back home. They play the St. Louis Cardinals. So they've got that four-game series against the White Sox in Chicago – then they've got a three-gamer against the um, St. Louis Cardinals. And then a – let's see. Then the Cleveland Indians come to town. Is that for three games or four games? Let me see. Looks like it's a four-game series against the Cleveland Indians. So, Orioles, what they've got in front of them right now is the two today versus New York. Yankees, then four versus the White Sox in Chicago, three versus St. Louis at home, and four versus Cleveland at home. So the next eight, 11, 13 games, the Orioles better do something during those 13 games because the six and seven that they've had in the 13 out of the 15 games I was pointing towards coupled with the 4 and 14 going through that Friday night in Houston means the Orioles are collectively their last 31 games they are 10 and 21 and that's why they've lost about 7 games in the standings to the New York Yankees the Orioles were probably in front of the Yankees 2 to 3 games back then and now have fallen um, under some hard times 10 and 21 is not championship level baseball one of the things I do each and every week and I don't talk about it nearly enough on this program is I do my baseball power rankings and by the way I'm going to take you behind the veil of how I do that so each week you see the yellow might stand out to you is that on the screen Bonza okay the yellow are the home games I chart every team's games and what they are in a given week and um, I don't run these through a computer. I don't know how to do code or what I would even enter as code. Uh, all I do is fly by the seat of my pants a little bit and the baseball knowledge that I have over the years. I take into account such things as how a team is playing currently. I take into account injuries, maybe new players that have joined the team via trade or um, or maybe a young prospect that comes up, something like that. Uh, and I do my baseball power rankings. This week, the Orioles, um, last couple weeks, the Orioles have, um, they went 0-6 in week eight, dropped from third to 10th 
Then they went four and three and, and nearly had a really solid week of five and two, but they were four and three last week. This week, the Orioles, uh, while the Yankees have gone three and one, the Orioles have now gone two and two and lost another game in the standings. They are currently number nine right in front of the Chicago Cubs. Up close, uh, Houston, Washington, L.A., Dodgers, Yankees, and Boston round out the top five. Stan the Fan's power rankings. Joining us right now, though, is good friend and uh, super columnist for the New Hampshire, New Hampshire Union leader. He's also an official scorer, Fenway Park. He's all things Boston uh, and beyond. He is Mike Shallon. Mike, thanks for joining us. Morning, Stan. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Late game last night, but, uh, you know, and I'm not as – I'm not as good with day games after night games as I used to be, but fortunately we have a night game tonight, so I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, – I can rest up a little bit. And that game is at Fenway Park? Yes, it is. Uh, who's pitching tonight? Do you know the uh, matchup? Another, it's the sixth matchup of Chris Sale and Justin Verlander. Wow, that's a pretty exciting one. That's a pretty and exciting the Tigers, one. And the Tigers have actually won all five games. Um, Sale is 0-2 and Verlander is 2-0. and they, they hooked up back in the uh, first week of the season <clears> – <throat> And um, uh, Verlander gave up one unearned run in seven innings, left left trailing one nothing, and the and the Tigers got two off sale in the eighth to win the game two to one. Wow, sounds like a good game tonight. Fenway Park, I'm sure, will be packed uh, to the rafters. I called you the other day, and I left a little obscure message with you, or uh, and I said I'd be back in touch. And then my mother-in-law passed away this week, and I didn't get a, a chance to reach out to you. I had a friend of mine, one of the smartest sports people I know, he used to work for the Orioles. He said watching the Red Sox play against the Orioles last week, he was so unimpressed with the the crispness of the team, sort of knowing basic things like cutoffs and things like that. He was predicting to me, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about, so I'll talk to you about it on the air. But since then, Boston has sort of righted the ship again do you think John Farrell is in any danger up in Boston, whether immediate or a tough three-week stretch away where all of a sudden Dave Dombrowski could say, you know what, I inherited this guy. He's not my guy. Uh, i got to make a change here. I think there was more of a threat of that when Tori Lovello was still here. Okay. Um, I think once Lovello um, got away, if you will, yep. judging by his early results, um, there's no, there's no heir apparent. You know, people have brought up Jason Veritek and uh, people like that, but there's no solid major league type manager waiting he, in the he, wings. Here's my, here's my, my friend's uh, s- summation. He says Dombrowski could possibly. I forgot to share it. I'm sorry. Uh, Dombrowski could reach out to an old friend who just happened no. to win the World Baseball Classic. No. 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 Has that been has that been put to bed? Jim Leland has been the manager of the Red Sox for longer than anybody who's never been the manager <laughs> of the Red Sox he, uh, since you know, the day Dombrowski. Every time I'm telling you, when, when Jim is in, when Jim passes away at age 98, which I hope he lives to, right. he's the greatest guy in the world. Right. Then they'll still be speculating <laughs> that his, that his ghost will cut, will manage the Red Sox. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see. Why would he do that? Why would he put himself through that? And then somebody uh, said, "Well, maybe for just the rest of the year." That's what. Well, that's that's what my friend said. And then I put two and two together. 
I'll bet you a dollar to donuts that Brad Osmus, who Dombrowski hired in Detroit, I'll bet he's not the manager under Avila and, um, and young Mr. Illich uh, after this season. Well, you know, there was, there's been all kinds, there's been a death watch on Osmus forever. Yep. You know, I mean, he, he's a good guy. He's, um, he, you know, uh, he, I, think he, I think he's fairly honest with the press. I don't deal with him on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I question his moves, but I question yeah. the moves of a lot of these guys. Sure. You know, led by Joe Madden. Uh, you know, uh, I've I've long been a, a, a critic of Joe's in-game managing. I think he's a wonderful guy. I think he knows how to run a team. I think he does all these cute little, you know, offbeat things. But, you know, look at the way he almost managed himself out of the World Series yep. last year. Uh, and, you know, I hope for the Yankees' sake that he didn't ruin Chapman's career. You know, and, and um, but, you know, what what you have to do is, is look at the big picture as far as with a manager, because there's, especially in the American League, there's so little managing that's done during a game uh, that guys like Buck tend to get too much credit for wins and too much blame for loss. Now, not bringing Britain into the playoff game is, is yeah, it's a, you, can, it's you a, can blame Buck for that. Yep. But by and large, it's, it's the ability to... Um, to run a to run a, an outfit, you know, I, I John McNamara took a lot of heat for the Bill Buckner thing in '86, but what got kind of got lost it was Mac's ability to hold together a a, a, a clubhouse, a, an interesting to say the least clubhouse, yeah, and and get them all the way to the tenth inning of Game Six, and um, yeah, Osmus could certainly be gone. There's no question about it because you know. But you know, you look at you look at, uh, at 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 the people that assemble these teams, and in the case of the Tigers and the Red Sox, it's the same guy, uh, basically. And you know, the Tigers have an all right-handed hitting lineup. Now, that's you know, with the exception of Vimar, who turns around about left-handed uh, against a right-hander. But you know, it's it, it's not a it's not a balanced team. It's a slow team. Uh, you know, and you look at them and you say, why are they two games under 500? Well, you know, this weekend they should do well. They're facing three left-handed pitchers, and they're very tough on lefties. They should be. But they got, you know, they got a 3 nothing lead last night, wound up losing the game. Uh, and Dombrowski assembled a flawed Red Sox team. Yep. You know, I, I, you don't have a third baseman. Uh, you know, the, you don't have David Ortiz anymore, which is certainly not Dombrowski's fault. Uh, you have streaky players. Um, you know the, the kid in center field is the best example of that. And I was just about to sit down and write that for for uh, tomorrow's column. Is that you know remember the old the, the little girl with the curl? Yeah. You know? he's, when he's she was very, good, very she was good. good. Yeah. When she was yeah. bad, she was and, very bad. Yeah. And last night we saw the you know we saw Jackie Bradley strike out, single in a run, strike out, and hit a two run bomb that was halfway up to the red seat in, in the bleachers. And also make his typical nonchalant Paul Blair type catch up against the center field wall. So you know you like that little Baltimore reference. Like yeah, that? I love that. I yeah, love that. Yeah. Uh, and you um, just didn't add the late Paul Blair. Oh yeah, I, yeah. that I felt very bad about. Yeah. I'm still feeling bad about that. Yeah. But the um, uh, this is a flawed. This is a flawed team. And on top of the fact that it's a flawed team, you lose Stephen Wright for the year. Uh, you haven't had the two setup guys that that he put in place 
Now, Smith was not expected back yet, but Thornburg, who, you know, who, they're taking heat for trading Travis Shaw for Thornburg because Travis Shaw's done so well. Yep. Uh, he would have looked he, awfully nice this year at third base. Well, he would, but he also last year he he got off to a very yeah. similar start and was terrible in the second half yep. of the season. Uh, so you go, you don't have a third baseman. You've got a center fielder who hits two thirty, does some special things. You've got a, a rookie in left who, you know, he's had his moments. There's no question about it. But he's also had an zero for twenty six and an zero for nineteen. Uh, Pedroia got hurt. There's there's very little power. Uh, I was handed a note last night by by Chaz Scoggins, a uh, uh, longtime official scorer. He he still keeps up on the team, even though he's not writing, per se. Uh, the Red Sox and the Brewers coming uh, as through through Thursday. The Red Sox and the Brewers were the only teams in the major leagues to hit into more double plays than home runs. Wow! And that's that hurts a the team. There's no question about it. You know, two outs at once. There were two of them last night, and one of them. And there was also a. a, a Bad base running mistake by Hanley Ramirez, but it's a flawed team in in a balanced division. Which I think every year we go into the season wondering which division of baseball is going to be the best, and every year it turns out to be the American League East. So, uh, and then they they beat each other up for 19 games apiece, and it's just uh, you know the, the, the Yankees have beaten the Red Sox four out of five. The Red Sox have already played the Orioles 73 times or whatever it is. <laughs> And just you know, hammered the heck out of each other, both physically and mentally. And and uh, getting back to your original point about Farrell, you know, Farrell has been walking the plank yep. for years now. There's no question about. It. And then the Kenny Rosenthal story comes out a couple of years. Another Baltimore reference. Mm-hmm. Kenny Rosenthal story comes out that the players are that there's a divide and there's this and they don't respect them and they don't do this and they don't do that. And then every like you say, every time that happens, they they win four out of five. Whatever. That's and what seems like. Yeah, that seems yeah. to be the pattern. Let me. To me, it all comes down with them. It all comes down to pitching. Let me and move. Let me move on to a different topic. First sure. of all, again, I explained to uh, my listeners at the beginning what a tough week I had with the loss of a dear friend here in Baltimore and then my mother-in-law. I'm not quite clear. I understand that David Price got smacked around by the Yankees, and then after the game, kind of doubled down on stuff he had said the day before, which was Wednesday, I believe. What, could you give me the chronology of what took place this week with David Price and what you think the end result is going to be for his perception in Boston right now? Well, I heard, a, I heard an interesting theory about that last night. That uh, you know, First of all, some guys are meant to play here and some guys yep. aren't. This is not St. Petersburg. This is this is Boston. Uh, and note the Carl you know, note so the we, Carl Crawford reference. Well, it is. Yeah. You know, and, and Crawford, I don't blame Crawford for what happened because he he came to a team that had no use for him. Yeah. And that's and gave him one hundred forty four million dollars. Yeah, that was a terrible signing. Yeah. Well, I remember Carl telling me that because uh, you know Carl played for um, played for my brother in youth basketball down in Houston. Okay. And and still refers to my brother as coach and. He's a great he's, kid, isn't he? He's a great kid, yeah. and the thing is, he the story he told was he was driving, he was driving along a highway, and his agent called and said the Red Sox just offered 144 million. He said I almost drove off the road. <laughs> he had no desire to play in Boston, no right. desire to play in New York. He knew what he was, so he signs that contract, which was 50 million dollars more than he would have gotten anywhere else. Right. He comes to Boston without a place in the lineup, 
and that's that it was the most incredible thing. From the moment he signed, there was no place for him to fit in the lineup the way he was used to to batting. Right. So that thing. So that thing happened. Now you got now you got Price, who I think I saw the other day makes nine thousand dollars per pitch, <laughs> and basically a million dollars per start. He comes in here and he has the albatross around his neck of being the worst postseason pitcher of all time. Let's be honest about yep. it. You know, he's, Let's call he's a spade a, a spade. Yep. Well, you know, he, he, nobody's gone 0-8. None, no great, I don't know if anybody's ever gone right. 0-8. Right. You know, I, I, I pointed to the other day in the column about, you know, Maddox had a bad record, Glavin had a bad record, Randy Johnson had a bad record. Kershaw's isn't great, but nobody's right. 0-8. Clemens, yeah. you know, I mean, yep. had, had struggles. Uh, but nobody was 0-8 as a starter. And that is, you know, it's David Price, comma, who has never won a postseason game as a starter. And I think, I think that every time he has a bad outing, uh, that is, that is, it's not brought up when he pitches a two-hitter. Yep. It just doesn't happen. Now, he was hurt. You can't blame the guy for that. But I, a theory I heard last night was there's a radio show up here, Felger and Maz, uh, at uh, during the afternoon, which is which is simulcast on Comcast, and they have a they have a, a sport an update guy who has been just ripping Price right to the point of doing impressions of him and all this kind of stuff. Well, the first guy that Price goes after was Evan Drellich, who works for that TV station's website, okay. Evan TV station. In other words, guilt by association. I've had that happen to me before. You know, I've been. Lord knows every writer has been blamed for headlines we didn't write. And um, he goes after Drellich and says he's shutting himself down except on days that he pitches. From, like talking, from talking to the media. Yeah. There was no concrete reason for this tirade. Right. None. And, but I don't know what's going on in his head. You know, David Price is an intelligent kid. I think he's a, I think he's a sensitive kid. I think that he does feel the pressure of making a million dollars a start, especially in a place like Boston. You know, I talked to an old friend Bruce Hurst the other day um, about pitching in Boston and the disappointment he felt when he walked out to the mound at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego because it just wasn't the same. Right. Now some guys love that and some guys don't. Now, whether or not David, you know, David Price has been batted around by the Yankees since he joined the Red Sox to the tune of, I believe, one and four with an eight three one ERA in the two years. Well, one year he beat the Yankees six times when he was pitching for Tampa Bay and Toronto or Detroit and Toronto. I forget the chronology of where he's been traded around so much as a mercenary, you know. But um, he beat the Yankees six times, and is he afraid of the Yankees? No, he's not afraid of the Yankees. You know, but he has been batted around by the Yankees, and these things, these things tend to go in, in uh, you know, in circles or cycles. Cycles, you want to call yeah. It. I mean, Chris Sale is a great pitcher, but he takes an eight and eight career record against the Tigers to the mound tonight. Now, eight and eight, but he does have a three oh one ERA. So obviously, the support wasn't there. You have to take that into account. You know, playing for the White Sox, so. Where that thing came from, I, I think if you sat down with Price and injected him with some truth serum, he would tell you that he doesn't want to play in Boston. Yeah. That if That's the Tampa what Bay I'm Rays de- or yeah. anybody else would have given him $217 million, he would have been fine. 
you know, he would have been fine. That's else. that's what I'm hearing when I heard the story. Yeah, and I think it just I think it just bubbled over. I really do. And you know, I wish all of them wouldn't talk. To be honest with you, I wish all of them wouldn't talk, even on days they pitch. Right. Uh, yeah, that's the way it used to be. Right before I got in the business, it started to change. It used to be you wrote about the game. Now it's very very tough to just write about the game because everybody sees the game. Uh, you're not telling people stuff that they don't know. Every single game is on television. Every that's a great. That's a great point, Mike. That is a great point. We're talking to Mike Shallon, a columnist for New Hampshire Union Leader. That is an incredible story because baseball used to live. You'd get you'd get 50 games on TV, and the rest were on the radio. And now, because of that, the the veil's been lifted on thing, how things operate. And it not, not only is a veil, uh, you know, we as baseball writers, and I've been, I've been a beat writer in, in hockey. I've been a quite a beat writer in, in, in basketball. There's so much dead time in baseball where where you you stand around in the in the clubhouse, very uncomfortably, mm-hmm. staring at these lockers, waiting to talk to somebody. Uh, they have so many places to hide now, and I will give. I will give Camden Yards credit for for that for building a um, you know building a clubhouse that's larger than most condominiums, and and, and these guys just they have too many places to hide. Yeah, no question where they, about it. They you know used to walk into the Red Sox clubhouse and half the guys were sitting on the two couches in the middle of the room. And I remember in Memorial Stadium the same thing. So what you have is you know we you have to come come up with something. And the social media angle of it has made it even worse because now everybody wants to be first, whether they're right or not, and that's um, that's unfortunate. You know, and I, I, I know I, you I don't really. You know, I have a Twitter account. I, you know, at M Scott Shea, if anybody's listening. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't use it very much. I can't use it when I'm scoring. I, obviously, we can't. I can't. You be can't comment on the official scoring. Yeah. On anything. So, yep. uh, but the you know this this constant barrage of you know. That was the third time he's grounded out the shortstop this week, and it had a it had a velocity of uh, an exit velocity of 103 <laughs> miles an hour, and blah 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 blah. You know, meaningless and stuff. What's, really, what's is. lost is the game, yep. the game itself, and that's unfortunate. You know, We're, the Yankees and the Red Sox. The first game of that series was a really good game. The Yankees games with the Orioles have been real, you know, yep. and the Blue Jays are all good games, but there's so many other things involved. Oh. And, uh, so much analysis, you know. What is it? Paralysis by analysis, and and it's just um, it's just different. Now, I'm not saying it's worse. It's just different. And I I'm glad that I'm not a beat guy for a major uh, American League or National League team um, traveling beat guy because it, to me it, the grind of having to put that nonsense out on Twitter every 12 seconds would just kill me. We're talking with Mike Shallon, columnist, New Hampshire Union leader. I got one more topic to touch with you on today. Uh, the other night against the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, I don't know if you saw the play or not, slid into third base, and I forget whether it was a steal or a play they were trying to make on McCutcheon going for second to third. But anyway, he came in, he made Manny Machado's slide into Dustin Pedroia look like a walk in the park. He came in high enough to not not as Manny was actually down at ground level 
he hit him like midway up on his, right above his wrist, like the hammock area with a spike. Um, and, and you know what? He grimaced, he, got, he tried to play, they pulled him out an inning later. There was never any of this drama about, well, we gotta go after McCutcheon, because there was no intention by McCutcheon. It was a sloppy, late slide, which is pretty much what Machado did. I, I really am sort of proud of the Orioles how they handled that. Now they've missed Machado now for two games. They've lost both games. But there's not this sense now. I know we don't play Pittsburgh as often, but we're going to play them in late September in Pittsburgh two games. There's no feeling that the Orioles are going to go after McCutcheon in three months to pay him back for a bad slide. Yeah. Your thoughts on the whole thing and how the Red Sox handled that? Um, like babies. Yeah. I thought, um, you know, I, I, I see things that just, you know, in all sports. I watched I watched Sidney Crosby pound um, P.K. Subban's head into the ice two or three times the other night and get called for holding, um, you know, and not get penalized. And then I saw uh, a, basically an inadvertent cross-check in front of the net on Oli on Mata, which only resulted because Mata stumbled and fell forward into the stick, and the kid, uh, the, the kid gets suspended for a game. So trying to, uh, trying to figure out how people interpret things, you know, I, I've given up on that. Yep. Uh, sales thing with throwing the ball, you know, the, the Barnes, Barnes was the culprit to me. Yep. And, and that, had he not done that, I don't think it would have escalated. And really, when you think about it, we can be thankful for the fact that it didn't really escalate. You know, not, yeah. not, not much happened. It, wasn't, it didn't get as bad as the, um, as the San Francisco thing where, where Buster, if you'll, if, you'll pardon my, uh, <laughs> if you'll pardon my pun, Buster struck a pose. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and did nothing to stop it. Now, I don't know if he, was, if he had been told by, by, the pitcher, by the pitcher to let him come at me or if he just wanted the pitcher to get punched out to, because... He was being an idiot about the whole well, thing. Well, the, the other thing he might have might have done was, you know, Earl Weaver, the reason Weaver would not get into these beanball battles is he was always afraid that he would end up losing a player mm-hmm. via suspension or that he would get injured in the fight. Posey's a guy who's had serious knee problems. Maybe Posey was just discretion the better part of well, that. Well, don't forget, yeah. don't forget uh, two weeks off of a concussion. Yeah, I did not know that either. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, so baseball baseball fights. You know, it's well, funny when you talked about the slide. I, I didn't see the slide, uh, but every time I think of a slide, I think of the one of the first baseball stories I ever heard was about Frank Robinson, uh, Baltimore reference. I get I get paid extra for three you, Baltimore references. Unbelievable! You hit but, the triumph uh, the, the the legend of Frank, if you will, was to get on first base. And instead of putting one of those oven mitts on, mm-hmm. he would pick up two handfuls of dirt. Right. And when he went in to break up the double play, up came the dirt into the second baseman's face. Now I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> but Frank was so tough that I'm not I'm not going to yeah. sit here and deny it. Frank and, o- Frank also used to have the thing where he would just quietly get up after somebody dusted him, and he would hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. the way it was handled. Well, he was a great, great player. Mike, and, and we, we all, always appreciate your jumping on the show uh, and your honesty and integrity in all things. All right? Any time, Stan. All right. Thank you, Mike Shallon. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care. Thank you. That's Mike Shallon, a columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader. 
and we appreciate him. Craig Heiss is going to join us in just a couple minutes. Major Golf returns to Baltimore. That's right, July 11th through the 16th. Constellation Senior Players Championship. Get up close to golf's legends at prestigious Kays Valley Golf Club. Visit cspgolf.com for tickets and more information. Hey, if you're like me, you like great food and baseball. You have to visit Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted best burgers and wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, only with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. Now through May 31st, Full Circle Tire and Auto is running a special to support the Joppatown Lions achieve their dreams of helping the community receive free eye exams for people ages six months and up. Full Circle Tire and Auto is giving away free brake pads with all brake repairs. Again, you only pay the labor and 10% of all repairs will be donated. A set of four new tires means $30 donated to the Joppatown Lions to help them achieve their dreams. That's at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon. You can give them a call, 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277. Or find them on Facebook by searching Full Circle Tire and Auto. It's where I take my vehicle when I need repairs. Full Circle Tire and Auto, give them a call today. Latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Rich Dubroff profiles Orioles first base coach Wayne Kirby, who is wildly popular among fans. Ravens beat writer Bo Smoka breaks down their roster, post-NFL draft, and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlowski we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Right, we are back on the bat around. Stan the fan flying solo today because my partner Craig Heist has got another gig. Probably one that pays a little bit more than ours. 
but we uh, each time he's not able to be here, he's kind enough to work for free for a few minutes. Craig Heist joins us from Nats Park. Craig, how, first of all, great weather down there today? I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Go ahead. Right, well, I'll, I'll see you later, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's beautiful, Stan. Couldn't get a better day for baseball, and by the time this thing starts around noon, uh, as we go through the afternoon, uh, if you have a normal three-hour game or somewhere in that area, you're probably going to get up to about 85 to 86 degrees, so it's a pretty nice day. You know, the the Nats had a night last night like the Orioles had on Thursday night. They just didn't get in gear. Uh, their starting pitcher didn't pitch well. Um, was it Maybe they played on adrenaline on Thursday night, knocking Alec Asher out easily. Uh, is that how you is that how you read it right now? How they played last night? I kind of maybe think the travel and coming back, you probably had that day layover and or the hangover, if the you hangover. will. Hangover, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you know, Tanner Rourke last night, he gave up a ton of hits, but he was only down one nothing up until uh, Jonathan Lucroy hit the two run homer. Then it was three nothing. And uh, yet the Nets' uh, offense couldn't do anything against uh, Kashner. So as a result, it wound up being a 5-2 loss in the end. Uh, but our uncharacteristic in the loss was the fact that uh, the Nets committed three errors, one by Ryan Zimmerman, two by Trey Turner. And that's really the surprise because Turner's played a really good shortstop all year long. We're talking with Craig Heist, who covers the Nats and all sports for 106.7 The Fan in D.C., and uh, he's good enough to uh, double dip with us on Saturdays here in studio most times down at Nats Park. Um, we're clearly not in the dog days yet, uh, you know, of the season, but do you sense any lethargy overall by the Nats? You watch them on nights when they're away like they were on the West Coast when you can. Uh, they've got this 10-and-a-half game lead, and it's not even over the Mets it's over the Atlanta Braves. Do you think Dusty's toughest job right now is keeping them sort of sharp during the regular season to be really ready to pounce during the postseason? Well, that's the plan. And uh, really, he talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that here you are June 10th and you're sitting there with the 10-and-a-half game lead and you're also worried about complacency. He says, nobody worries about complacency. He says, your job he says, if you care about what you're doing with your job, uh, you're not, you're, you're never going to be complacent. So he says, it's all the other things that go into it: the grind of the schedule, the fact that now the 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 springtime is over with, the yep. cooler weather is over with. You're starting to get into the hot days, and uh, that that's when it tests your metal. And and it's more maybe I think at this point for the Nationals, going to be more mental than it is uh, what they do on the field and you know, trying to step up and take the field every day and perform at the level that they performed the first, you know, two months and a week of the of this season so far. But you know, when you when you're able to stand to throw out, you know, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Tanner Rourke, and today it's going to be Gio Gonzalez uh, on a regular basis. You know, that's going to prevent one thing is probably long losing streaks. You know, and. Uh, there's going to be somebody out there to stop the skid if it's going on. And, and the other thing is this offense has been pretty darn good, probably better than a lot of people thought it was going to be. No question about it. 
one of the disappointments early in the year, but he pitched a whale of a game on Thursday night. I think he had 12 strikeouts, albeit against a team that can strike out on occasion a fair amount of times. But uh, Joe Ross, uh, compare what you saw Thursday night with what you saw last year when he burst onto the scene and was pretty darn good. I mean, I had somebody tell me this the other night because I did not talk to Joe Ross. I was in the visitors' clubhouse uh, with the Orioles, and uh, but somebody said once Joe Ross saw the lineup and, and saw the right-handed hitters in the lineup uh, for Buck Showalter, he said, "If I have any kind of a slider tonight, I'm going to be in pretty good shape." And sure enough, that was the case because we saw the Orioles do what they can do on occasion, and that's you know chase pitches out of the zone and kind of get themselves out. I think that happened quite a bit on Thursday night. So, you know, from that angle, I think Joe Ross probably had good stuff, number one, but uh, some of what the Orioles were doing played into his hands. Uh, so, again, Joe Ross came up uh, from the minor leagues. He had the first start was uh, eight innings and was giving up only one run. Then he had two in a row that weren't very good, and then he comes back against the Orioles and uh, and, and has a real good start. Now the question is, can he, you know, parlay that and get some consistency going with it as you go through the month of June and into July? We're talking with Craig Heiss, covers the Nationals. And um, uh, what's the latest – how do you think, since Adam Eaton went down, how do you think Michael Taylor has stepped up with yet another chance? And, again, you look, uh, Craig, last night Aaron Hicks hits two home runs – he had kind of run out of chances in Minnesota. Brian Cashman saw a way to get a young player that hadn't yet fulfilled himself. You think Taylor is kind of similar that he's he's fulfilling the prophecy? I think he is to a degree, and he certainly. And, and when Eaton went down and Michael was brought back up, uh, Dusty told him, you know, look, this is your chance, another chance. Yep. You know, take this thing and run with it. And so far, so good. I mean, I know you you know what you're always going to get defensively with Michael Taylor, unless he's playing in Chavez Ravine in the, <laughs> against the Dodgers. However, uh, you know, because he made an error out there. And the only reason I say that, he made the error out there the other day in the day game. And last year, you'll remember he had that ball that he charged, uh, and it went under his glove and went all the way to the wall late in the game. I believe it was the eighth inning. I and it wound that up scoring. Right, it wound up being the, what, what turned the game in favor of the Dodgers. So, but, uh, I mean, defensively, you always know what you're going to get. Offensively, it's a matter of whether or not, you know, he can make solid contact and not strike out, and that's been his problem. Uh, but so far, so good. He's hit for some power. He's had some clutch base hits. And really, that to me is the most important thing is to see him getting the clutch base hits. Uh, you know, but uh, I think everybody knows that this kid is, you know, has the potential to be a five-tool guy, and uh, they're going to give him every opportunity, and, of course, he's going to be the main guy the rest of the way with Eaton out pretty much for the year. You may see Adam Eaton, if everything goes well, you may see him by the end of September or maybe into the playoffs, but I wouldn't count on that. All right. We're talking to Craig Heist, and we're talking mostly about the Nationals today. Craig, uh, Matt Albers, who you remember, you covered him with the Orioles when we acquired him in the Miguel Tejada trade about seven, eight, or nine years ago, uh, has been a, a lifesaver uh, for the Nationals. They've re-spotted him now as more of the setup guy, 
117 ERA in 22 appearances, 23 innings with 25 Ks, four walks, batting average against him 171 with a whip of 0.78. How important has he been? <laughs> yeah, well, early on, Stan, when this bullpen was having all kinds of difficulty, he was the stabling force. I think he's only had really one bad outing all year long, but I mean, Dusty's used him, uh, you know, around the sixth inning, the seventh inning. He's also used him as the setup guy, and he's also closed a couple of games for Dusty. Uh, so from that standpoint, I mean, right now he looks like a guy you can pretty much spot in anything that Dusty wants right now, any role, and he's going to be pretty consistent. The one thing he's doing a lot of times, Stan, and, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's a pretty good number is the fact the amount of strike ones that he gets mm-hmm. and gets ahead of hitters. Uh, that's been really, to me, one of the differences that I see between this Matt Albers and the one that was in Baltimore several years ago. But since then, I mean, he's been with several different clubs since then and has, has maybe not put up these kind of numbers, but certainly has held his own and done a really nice job. And He's found a home here in Washington. There's no doubt about that. The other thing I see is a guy, and I'm not making fun of guy. People battle weight issues. Uh, I battle them. I know you battle them. Uh, he's 30 pounds lighter than he was when he was in Baltimore. Yeah, but still everybody runs around and says, hey, 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 it's Matt Albers. And that's all in good fun, but yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. He is thinner. He's moving better. He gets off the mound a lot better to field his position. And, and those are all the things that you can control to kind of help yourself uh, be a, an effective pitcher and, and get some saves and maybe even win some ball games. So maybe the Orioles should acquire Bartolo Colon, put him on a, on a weight <laughs> program, get him to lose 30 or 40 pounds, and maybe he could become a setup man. Um, well, that's, possi- that's yeah. possible, but the problem with Bartolo, Bartolo is you got to turn the clock back a few years. Yeah, I know that. They, like maybe from 42 years old to maybe 33 or 34. Uh, the flip side of the Matt Albers uh, coin is the guy that they went out and paid pretty good money to, uh, Joe Blanton. First of all, is, yeah. Blanton, is Blanton's contract a one- or two-year deal? I believe it's a one-year deal, and he right now is on the DL, but he is on a rehab assignment right now. So it shouldn't be too long before we see him again. I mean, it's amazing the numbers because this guy was very impressive for the Dodgers for a couple seasons out of the pen. 12 innings, 20 hits, uh, only four walks, but gave up six home runs in 12 innings with a 364 batting average against him and a 1.95 whip. But the rehab may get give him an opportunity to re kind of do a whole restart in his season now. Yeah, it could be, and we'll see whether or not, and again, how much the injury played a part in some of his struggles early on, we we don't know, but uh, certainly that's going to be another weapon for Dusty Baker to be able to use out of the bullpen uh, You know, when he comes back and he's 100% healthy again. Now, one other talking, sticking with the bullpen, Coda Glover, I look at his stats, they're not ultra-impressive, one one that is is nine save opportunities, eight saves. Is he growing into this job, Craig? Well, yeah, I think he is. And again, I think they were looking for somebody with that mentality. And you and I talked a little bit about this, I think, last week or maybe it was a week before, uh, where somebody said, you know, Coda's got it, whatever that it is. Yeah. And I think more than anything, it is the mentality 
of knowing that you're the guy in that ninth inning that's got to be able to shut it down. And I think it is a different mentality than maybe as a setup man or a long guy, that kind of thing, or a matchup guy. Uh, so from that standpoint, I, I think I think Coda's got the the nastiness about him to handle that role, but in the, in a controlled way. You know what? And and if you saw the day game, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the night game, the last night game out in L.A. against the Dodgers, where he strikes out Yasiel Puig to end that game, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, and kind of yelling, go sit down. And Yasiel took a offense to that. And kind of, you know, but both benches cleared as everybody was leaving the field. Neither team, you know, the altercation didn't escalate by right. any means. But, you know, Coda was staring him down and Puig started toward the mound. So uh, there is a little bit of that in, yeah. in, in Coda Glover. You just hope he can control that. We're talking with Craig Heiss. Craig, uh, you were at the I, – I was not at either of the – Pirate games, but you were there the night Manny Machado got slid into by Andrew McCutcheon. You know, it's interesting to me that slide by McCutcheon, and again, I I don't ascribe any ulterior motives like, hey, I'm going to take Manny out of here. I thought it was a late and a sloppy slide, and it made Manny slide into Dustin Pedroia almost look like a day at the beach. Um, but, you know, I really am proud of the Orioles, the way they handle things uh, compared well, you know, to the Red Sox. Been... There was no intention to hurt Manny. Injuries happen for a variety of reasons. I thought they handled their business very well by not trying to immediately retaliate. No, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Buck even mentioned that, you know, the fact that I heard him. You know, he, wasn't, he wasn't all that happy with the slide, but by the same token, he said, uh, you know, with the way both of them reacted, both he and McCutcheon, I think there was mutual agreement there that, you know, and the, I mean, he, Manny was even showing where, yeah. showing McCutcheon where he got hit in the hand or where he got spiked in the hand. But the, the seriousness to me was the bending back of the wrist yeah. during that. Yeah. And that, that to me is one of the things I'm thinking that, you know, if this is a five or six day thing, you never know before they can, you know, have to maybe retroactive a DL stint. But we'll see how it goes. He's in a soft cast right now. He was wearing it again last night during the Yankee game, sitting on the bench. But, you know, Buck, you're absolutely right about the way the Orioles handle it. And Buck even said down here the next day, uh, I guess it was on uh, Thursday, Thursday, where right. he's, yeah, where he said, uh, look, he said, you know, things happen. He says, but, you know, at least we didn't retaliate. Yeah, and, and I don't. So that, get, was, I don't that was your shot. That was your shot at the Red Sox. Yeah, exactly. They handled their business properly. Look, we had a regular on this show on before you came on today, Mike Shallon uh, from the yeah. New Hampshire Union Leader, and I asked him that, and I prefaced it by saying the slide. He said, "I didn't see the slide, the McCutcheon slide." I said, "But overall, how do you think the Red Sox handled that thing?" He said, "Like babies." You know, yeah. they really did. I don't get any well, sense. The Orioles play. The other part about the that. Orioles the other play. part about that. Go ahead. It, to me, to, to me, it comes from the way they handle it. Like Mike said, like babies, and that comes a lot from their manager. No I'm sorry, but they, that comes a lot from Mike uh, from John Farrell. Mike Farrell was he was on Mash for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> he did a good job. He did a better job on Mash than Farrell does with the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> you know, the the thing I was trying to, I was we were competing there. 
you know, we play the Pirates two games, uh, September 24th and 25th. It's a Tuesday, Wednesday in Pittsburgh. I get no sense at all that the Orioles are going to hunt for McCutcheon, you know, three months later to pay him back for, for a bad slide. Oh, I don't either. I yeah. think this is over and done with, and I think both sides understand that, and I don't think anything was intentional on McCutcheon's part. You know, but if you look around baseball, Stan, and you look, and, and we had a couple of bang-bang plays down here last night at second base, I don't know what it is, but it's hard that when when, when players are sliding and they put one leg underneath the slide, invariably the other foot or the other leg comes up off the ground. Yeah. And it's amazing, it's amazing to me how how more people aren't hurt, really, around the bag. Yeah. Well, I also think that whole thing, listen, I get the purity of baseball and you need to keep your foot on the bag. Video replay was not designed to have a guy slide and then the tag's applied and the pressure of the tag might push him a little bit, you know, right. and, he, and he gets off for a split second and they go video replay. That was not what video replay was supposed to be about in my estimation. It was supposed to be about plays at the plate, whether you're safe or out, whether a ball's foul or fair, uh, those kind of things. I really don't like that whole thing, and I think that does put uh, players at risk a little bit that they're so afraid to get off the bag for a millisecond. Uh, So anyway, I've got one more question for you before we let you go. Uh, and the question isn't what should I say to Bill Latson uh, from you, but my question. Well, I can tell I can tell you what to say to him, but <laughs> but I know. can't say it on the radio. I can't I can't say we are streaming. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> now my question was, uh, Mike Rizzo done a real yeah. good job at putting this club together, but do you see anything despite the ten game lead over a weak division? If you had to pick one player or position you thought could help the Washington Nationals be better ready to win the whole thing or at least get to the series, what would you say they need? No, well, there's definitely, it's definitely another bullpen arm and possibly a closer. Because even though Cody Glover's your closer right now, there's not a doubt in my mind that Mike Rizzo will go out and get some more bullpen help before the trade deadline. I mean, let, well, keep in mind, this is a guy who took the closer's job away from Drew Storm on two separate occasions, uh, you know, with, uh, well, one of them was an injury, but Raphael Soriano came in and then Mark Melanson came in. And uh, then there was Jonathan Pabalbon, who who was here for a short period of time. But again, the, the lack of uh, uh, trust that Rizzo had in Drew Storm led to those moves. Yep. And you, you, know what, you know what the postseason is all about now, Stan. It's pretty much a bullpen game. You get your starters to go six, innings or at least through five yep. and then you can turn it over to a strong bullpen and if you've got the lead you've got a pretty good chance of winning all right listen we appreciate it your good friend bill latson from mlb.com is going to join us next in just a minute we're going to say our uh, bid adieu to you uh all by, right. the, by the way if you can text uh, gary thorne it was his birthday last night <laughs> all right good enough all right thanks craig talk to you all soon right, talk to you stan bye-bye all right there you go craig heist from out at nats park we're going to make our connection right now with uh, Bill Latson of MLB.com and talk to him a little bit about his podcast. Uh, the Nationals, by the way, number two on my uh, weekly MLB power rankings. They came back from number four 
They moved up uh, based on a 5-1 and one week where they uh, swept the San Francisco Giants and won two out of three against the A's. They were 5-1 and one last week. This week so far, 3-2 and two for the Washington Nationals. By the way, while I've got a, a moment before we're joined by Bill Latson, want to remind you folks that tomorrow, 10 to 12, the Fantasy and Reality Football Show with uh, Ken Zalis. He's back in the saddle. Uh, all systems are go. He'll be joined by Sarita Hubbard, and I hope being back with her doesn't up his blood pressure and get him too excited. The football show tomorrow, Fantasy and Reality style, 10 to 12. Uh, Kyle Ottenheimer is is uh, riding the, the shotgun there on the show, and it's uh, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard. And then Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer with the Glenn Clark Show, 10 to 12. Joining us now from MLB.com is a friend of the programs and a friend of Craig Heist's, and I say that, uh, and I hope he's not mad that I said that, but it's Bill Latson. Bill, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Stan. All right. I appreciate you joining us. By the way, your, your thing, we, my, my producer and I, Bonza and I, were looking at it. When you go to MLB.com to look for Bill Latson's podcast, you're under a section called Newsmakers, or is that? That's correct. Or is that what your particular blog is called? Yes, it's it's uh, Newsmakers, and uh, I play a role in that section uh, all the time. So that's a good thing. Okay, so other people are doing a little bit of podcasting under Newsmakers as well. That's correct. All right. How 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 have you taken? I know we've had you on three or four times, and I sort of ask you. Do, do you feel like you're growing in this role as a podcaster as time goes on? You enjoying it more and more? Oh, no question about it. And uh, I, I enjoy uh, talking to the players. It's different uh, than, the, than the Nationals. Uh, as you know, I was with the Nationals for like 15 years. And uh, it, it, it's, it's different. And, and I like the job now. Um, I, I, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't want to go back on the beat. I like doing what I'm doing. So again, and I'm and, and pardon me if I've asked you this before. So I know I wanted to have you on today and talk about a couple of the current ones and David Price's tenth anniversary uh, from being the number one pick in the draft is a topic that you you tackled. How does Bill Latson, when he zeroes in on a topic, do you have a producer that that makes the calls or do you call the PR director for the team? And because you're MLB.com. They'll give you that kind of access that maybe Craig Heist or I would not get. I would, uh, first of all, I make the calls. I make, uh, you know, I call, sometimes I call the PR director. Sometimes I just go to the, to the stadium and try to get a podcast from there. That's okay. how I was able to get, for example, uh, Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, with uh, Clint Hurdle, for example, I had to go through the uh, PR department. So, and and I know P, uh, Clint Hurdle for a long time, so I was lucky there. Yep. And uh, and being around the Nationals has helped me also get the exposure that I need. The 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 Clint Hurdle Andrew McCutcheon is is the piece. Is it about the relationship between the two of them, the winning that has taken place over the last five years, or do you delve into the the issues of how tricky it was to navigate his position as almost? team captain, quasi-team captain, to where they were trading him and moving him to right field and then immediately had to move him back to center field. Uh, what ta- what issues do you take in, a, in, a, in that interview? Well, in that interview, uh, looking really forward 
because, as you know, McCutcheon is always on the trade block. Yep. And uh, there's a possibility he could be traded before the deadline. And we talked about his future and with Hurdle, you know, as you know, the Pirates haven't won in the last year and a half. So the question I asked him basically was, are the Pirates rebuilding? Because, as you know, they don't have the money to, you know, sign the big-name free agent. So, um, according to Clint Earl, they're not rebuilding. So, that's how I go about it. I really don't look into the past. You know, when I was in college, I learned something from the teachers. And it came from Barbara Streisand, believe it or not. <laughs> it was, it was uh, Barbara Streisand did not like to talk about the past. She wanted to talk about day and forward. So um, that's how basically I go about it. Now, if I'm talking to a Hall of Famer, that's a different story. But uh, as you know, I spoke to Cal Ripken Jr., for example. I talked about Ripken baseball and, you know, what he went through with the Orioles. So that's a different story. But a current player, I, for the most part, try to look forward. We're talking with uh, Bill Latson of MLB.com. The David Price interview that you did for your podcast, I, nothing in that interview dealt with what's taken place from midweek till now with David, correct? correct. In fact, uh, the interview took place a few hours before David Price went off. So I, I got lucky, but we got to make this clear. David Price is not talking to the Boston media. He's talking to everybody else in New York media because not only did he talk to me, he talked to Morakovich, uh, 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 the Yankees, uh, you know, sideline reporters. So I, I know for a fact that it's just the Boston media. We're talking with Bill Latson, MLB.com. Your piece on Price was really about the anniversary of his being the number one pick. Um, that one was that one that you did go kind of backwards on a look a look at a historical uh, date that that uh, David Price was part of. That's correct, um, because he was the first overall pick, and. Uh, you know, the thing was, he, he I mean, I almost couldn't shut him up because he, he loved to talk about that stuff. He talked about his injury um, in terms of uh, you know, what he went through the first two months of the, of the year. And uh, it was, I, I enjoyed the energy. I, I'm glad I did it. All right. Bill, uh, we appreciate your being on today, as always. Tell me a little bit about just. You know, we're we're in mid, just about mid-June right now, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to, I, I'm not going to ask you a podcast question. Do you see any managers out there that you feel are on the hot seat this year? Well, it's, it's been awfully quiet. It's been awfully quiet. I know the other day the, the Cardinals held a press conference. People were thinking, oh, they're getting ready to fire Mike Matheny, which I thought would have been a stupid move, but they didn't. Uh, but do you see anybody else in some jeopardy? Well, um, you know, no, because I think now we're seeing, unlike any uh, any other year, people are being patient. They know what's going on. You don't have any money or you don't. And you're not, and you're not seeing the front office blaming the managers now. So I think uh, everything right now is status quo for now. But uh, I don't see anyone in trouble. I know they make the Cardinals make changes to their coaching staff, right? But that's 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 about it. And uh, I think uh, no, no one's in trouble. Uh, it'll be interesting after the season. The only reason I say that because um, you know Dusty Baker had, needs to have his contract renewed. He deserves yep. it. 
Um, so, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see all that stuff, but as of right now, uh, no way, no way. Why? Are, I'm just curious. You covered the Nats for a long time. I've got Correct. great respect for the organization, but but I'm curious as to why you think it is that they, they waited the same thing went through with Mike Rizzo, but the same thing went through with um, uh, the manager that ended up quitting uh, Riggleman, Jim Riggleman. Correct. Why do you think they're so they play the management game so tight to the vest? Do you think that's a healthy atmosphere to have have those people work under no not really no and but but keep in mind too dusty baker has been in this game a long time and unlike jim jim briggleman which you know let's face it he made a mistake doing that and yeah I he think did that yeah at dusty baker uh is patient i think he can wait i don't think he wants to make a ton of money like he did in the past Yep. He wants to win a World Series now. That's his biggest goal, is to win a World Series. So I think he will be patient until the end of the season. Now, if the Nationals don't renew his contract, then I'll say, man, something's wrong here. Because yeah. Dusty Baker, to me, has done a hell of a job. And, uh, you know, to have the record that he has without a bullpen, he doesn't have a bullpen. I don't care what anyone says. Um, I think he's done a hell of a job. Got to ask you a question, and I, and I know you probably haven't, dealt with this either in your capacity as a beat writer with the Nats or now doing these podcasts. This Masson story has been going on a long time between the learners and Peter Angelos, and uh, it's where it stands right now. I'm not 100% sure, but I know it's got a few more legal machinations to go through. Uh, about three weeks ago, the Nats kind of upped the ante by, by signing Bryce Harper you know, a year, nine months in front of the start of the 2018 season, they signed him to his, his you know, a deal that superseded any arbitration uh, for next year where he's going to be paid $21 million. The timing of that, do you think the Nats may have been tweaking the Orioles at all with that? Like saying, hey, we're going to do this. What are you going to do with Manny Machado? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think it has nothing to do with uh, Masson. I just think uh, uh, Bryce Harper is a star. I mean, he's a stud. Well, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that it, it has anything to do with Masson per se. I'm talking about the timing of it. What do you think I, no, was the motivating factor to sign him when there was absolutely no pressure to do it? No, I, I do not. I think they wanted to make Bryce Harper happy. Okay. No, I do. I do not uh, believe that uh, it was. Now I know a lot of people have said it was weird to sign Harper so early, but my my thing was, you know, why uh, make Bryce Harper unhappy? Why don't make him relax? Mm -hmm. He's their stud player. Yep. I mean, I I have no, I, I see no suspicions there. I mean, when it comes to the Nationals, there's always a lot of suspicion, but in this case, I I don't, I just don't see it. I you know. He's their stud player. They need him. So. We're, we're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, um, you you witnessed, whether you were there firsthand or not, you witnessed all the, the intrigue and drama between the Orioles and the Boston Red Sox, which started with the Manny Machado slide into Dustin Pedroia. I'm just mm -hmm. curious, did you see the slide Andrew McCutcheon had the other night that injured Manny Machado. Have you seen that on? on... I, I did. I did see it. And, yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I thought there was nothing McCutcheon did wrong. 
but uh, boy, that, that was a weird. Uh, I mean, uh, collision. I'm surprised uh, Machado didn't break his arm on that yeah, play. Yeah, it was a very weird play. But you know, again, I'm not here to to tell you I'm proud to be an Oriole fan because of the way they handled something. But I just found it interesting that the Orioles didn't – you know, in other words, I thought all that stuff that the Red Sox did was a lot of BS. I really do. And I was really proud to be an Oriole fan and watch how they handle their business. It was not – while it was a sloppy slide and it was late, and I said the same things about Machado's slide, I saw no intention by McCutcheon to injure the player. And I didn't see Machado trying to injure Pedroia. Stuff happens once in a while, and I think you just need to move on sometimes. Yes, I mean, there was nothing intentional that McCutcheon did. There's no question about that. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, everyone knows McCutcheon's reputation. Yep. He has a great reputation. He loves the game. It's obvious when you talk to him that it, this guy, I, I think when you talk to McCutcheon, I don't think uh, he's I think he's sincere when he says, he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, so I, I think uh, I, I think he's a great guy, and uh, and what he did to Machado was not intentional at all. You know, it's interesting. You say everybody knows McCutcheon, and kind of we're talking here about a character issue. Is some of what may have fueled Boston's feeling they need to put Manny in his place that that Manny doesn't have that reputation in terms of how he handles his business? Do you think that's possibly? What was at the root cause of that? Because there's no way they could have thought that he intentionally tried to hurt Pedroia either. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you say handle his business, I mean... You know, charging the mound against Ventura, that he's, he's, a, little bit more, he's a little bit less professional in how he, he handles himself compared to McCutcheon. McCutcheon and Adam Jones are one school. Manny's a little bit different. You know, I, I think it just shouldn't matter what Manny does. I, yep. I think uh, the bottom line is, I know he's not producing this year, but look at his reputation, the guy produces. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with what this guy does. And just move on. I just I think it's weird that uh, they think, you know, people think he's a bad guy or yeah, whatever. I agree. I just think, yeah, he, he, does his, he does his thing. There's nothing wrong with what Matado's done. What uh, we we plugged a couple things that you did most recently. What do you got cooking this week? Do you do you plan these things out obviously in advance? What do you think oh, yeah. you'll be working on this next week? Well, the Cubs are coming to town, so I'll probably talk to some Cub players. Who they are, I don't know yet. But uh, and you know the Mets are here as well, so I plan to talk to Met players and just take it from there. I'm going to the Yankee game, uh, Orioles game. Uh, Sunday, so I'm probably going to talk to someone on the Orioles um, and just take it from there. All right. Uh, when you look at the standings around Major League Baseball right now, the Astros, I think their record right now is probably a tiny bit better than the Cubs a year ago. Are they by far the best team, or are they benefiting from playing a, in a bit of a weak division right now? I don't think it has anything to do with playing in a weak division, but at the same time, I I thought that the Astros would be a good team, yep, but but not this good because their pitching staff and and their pitching starters and relievers have done far better than uh, 
what what I think anyone thought. I mean, it's not just uh, you know, Lance McCauley's is doing well. I mean, they're getting uh, you know, you know, production from their younger players, and that's a good thing. Um, you look at their offense. I thought the offense would be good, but they're playing like they're murder's row. So uh, they they're outstanding. I think on the the division's one already. I think, and uh, it's just a matter of how far they can go. What about the two teams from last year's World Series? Both of them, especially the Cubs, have gotten off kind of sluggishly. It's hard to imagine the Cubs are just at 500 right now. Although, because of the weakness yeah. of the division and the balance, they're only two games out of first place. Yeah, and you know, and they they lost to the Rockies again. And you know, I I don't know if they mixed this Dexter Fowler. I mean, I think that could be a difference there because they don't have a leadoff hitter right now and you know john jay um and um, among others they're just not producing right now so i don't know what it is with the cubs uh i don't think that that they're just like living off what happened last year because they play hard all the time Mm -hmm. i I just think uh i don't know man I, i think it's a combination of their bullpen um the middle when i say bullpen i'm talking about the middle to like the setup guys, they're not very good. Yeah, and uh, and the hitting is not as good as it was last year, so that needs to pick up as well. How surprised are you that we're talking, and it's just about mid June, that the Colorado Rockies are in first place, and the Arizona Diamondbacks are eleven games over five hundred. Two new managers in the division. How surprised are you at the play of their teams? Well, with Colorado, I'm not surprised about it uh, because I think everyone saw that coming. Because last year, they were showing signs of improvement, not just by offensively, but their starting pitching. That was the knock on the Rockies all these years. Yep. So they never had enough starting pitching. But last year was the bullpen. The bullpen was a was a hornet's nest last year. But this year, they improved the bullpen, and uh, now. Um, I'm not surprised they're in first place. Uh, the, the Rockies, I mean, the uh, Diamondbacks, I'm not surprised either because uh, Tori Lovello has done a hell of a job yep. as their manager. And uh, I think they're going to keep it up. I think it's going to be those two teams as well as the Dodgers. Yeah, flipping over to the American League, how surprised are you that the Minnesota Twins have played at the level after losing over 100 games last year, making a total sea change in uh, in their management, team management, letting Terry Ryan go. Uh, how surprised mm-hmm. are you at the turnaround there? I'm not surprised because um, I spoke to uh, Paul Molitor during spring training, and it was obvious he was upset by what happened last year. And, you know, this is a guy who's not all into analytics. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of just producing, playing hard, and this year is a totally different story. Now they got now they got whipped by the Astros recently, but uh, that didn't seem to affect them. So uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that they're winning either. Uh, one last question I've got for you is, um, and I also I think it's a suggestion for you for an interesting podcast, Bill, if you don't mind. Aaron Hicks, where where he was say four years ago when he started his career. The couple tough years in Minnesota, where he, where he couldn't quite make it, and people were saying, "Ah, he's never going to make it." And I bet the Twins are going through a similar feeling a little bit with Byron Buxton right now. 
but to see Hicks break out to be what he is now, he's better than Jacoby Ellsbury now. Well, you know, there's talk of, you know, do you keep playing Hicks and bench Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, once he's healthy? Right. Because, you know, he's on the DL because of concussion. Right. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Aaron Hicks has done one hell of a job. He's going the other way more often. And it seems like he's not going for the home run like he did, you know, especially right. last year. I saw him play a lot with the Yankees last year. So um, I like the way his at-bats are going. Even his even his outs yep. have been hard outs. So uh, I like the way he plays. And, you know, there's talk around the media, not with Girardi, right. that should Aaron Hicks play every day once Jacoby Ellsbury comes yeah. back. So, I think it's an interesting topic for a podcast because – he was a guy that could have gone either way, and we see – and, you know, it's interesting. Compare him right now to where Michael Taylor all of a sudden has gotten a second chance because of the injury to Eaton. Those are guys that they're – there's a, a million stories of guys that have their talent but that don't break through and slide the other way. Correct, correct. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, you talk about Michael Taylor. I'm really happy for that guy. Yeah, he's a good yes, kid. This was his last chance. Yep. This is his last chance, and uh, he's improved quite a bit. Yes, he's like hitting what two sixty seven now. Yep. But uh, that's better than what he's done the last two years. Um, he's not swinging at everything. He's more selective, and uh, it's great to see him be successful. All right, it's great to see you being successful with your MLB podcast, MLB dot com podcast under the newsmakers sections on the website. Bill, thank you for coming on. It means a lot to me. You'd do it without Craig Heist asking you. <laughs> hey, listen. We don't need Craig. Enough. We don't need Craig between no, us now. No, not at all. You and not I are simpatico now, right? <laughs> That's right. All right, my friend. Thank you. And continue you good it. luck to the Yankees when they're not playing the Orioles. Yeah. All right. You got it. You take care. Talk to you later. There he is, Bill Latson. Great guy. Um, and, uh, you know. I'll tell you what, you could make great guys out of all Craig Heist's friends, you know? <laughs> anyway, let me um, – are we doing a break here? And we're doing a uh, commercial break, right? If you like great food and baseball, you have to visit – you out there have to visit Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted – Best burgers and wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, only with food. Check them out at BigBats.com when you're on your way to the Eastern Shore or coming home from the Eastern Shore. And Major Golf returns to Baltimore July 11th through 16th for the Constellation Senior Players Championship. Get up close to golf legends at the prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club. Visit CSPGolf.com for tickets and more information. Bernard Longer going for four straight senior players' championships. Back with more of the battle round. Terry Crowley up next. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. 
Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. Hey, KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, ten to noon. Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. Latest edition of Pressbox is available now. On the cover, Rich Dubroff profiles Orioles first base coach Wayne Kirby, who is wildly popular among fans. Ravens beat writer Bo Smoker breaks down their roster, post NFL draft, and much more. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday, game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Well, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, game time with Tim and Nick. Find game time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud cloud now through may 31st full circle tyrant auto is running a special to support the joppa town lions achieve their dreams of helping the community receive free eye exams for people ages six months and up full circle tyrant auto is giving away free brake pads with all brake repairs again you only pay the labor and 10 percent of all repairs will be donated a set of fourth new tires means $30 donated to the Joppa Town Lions to help them achieve their dreams. That's at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon. You can give them a call, 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277. Or find them on Facebook by searching Full Circle Tire and Auto. It's where I take my vehicle when I need repairs. Full Circle Tire and Auto, give them a call today. Right, we are back with the batter round for this Saturday. And again, uh, the way you can tune in each Saturday is pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or if you'd rather watch this handsome face, go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports and catch us on Facebook Live as hundreds and nearly a thousand do each and every Saturday. Joining us now is uh, one of my older friends in the game of baseball, somebody I've known probably... I want to say 1935 years, the king of swing, Terry Crowley. Crow, how are you? Stan, how are you doing? I'm doing how great. Doing? I'm doing great. Which nickname do you prefer, the king of swing or Crow? Well, I'll tell you what. Crow, Crow has been with me my whole life. Um, when I was a player, the king of swing was uh, prevalent. And then as I coached actively in the big leagues, uh, that was active too, but – Kind of now, as the players retire and go away and everything, um, 
lot of young fellas don't understand when an old timer comes up and calls me king. So <laughs> I go with Crow is great. Crow is good. I've had it my whole life. All right. Hey, uh, you've worked with a lot of young players over uh, – I mean, you've worked with a lot of young hitters when you were in the major league coaching level. You really work with a little bit younger level of player now. Do you enjoy working with the younger hitters? Do you find them more uh, willing to listen to things and more receptive than the major leaguers? Uh, which, do, which do you prefer? Are they both kind of a, a delicious dessert for you? Well, I, I'll tell you this. Um, most hitting coaches would say the latter. The, the younger players, they're more appreciative and all. But I, I want to tell you, my major league experience was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I had success early. Guys that were with me for a long time flourished. And when a new, when a new player arrived on the scene, you know, they ask around and they say, you know, can Crow help me and all that. And the older players said definitely, you know. I had Jones, one time Jones brought a player into the uh, into the batting tunnel. I actually had him by the shirt collar. Brought him in and said, you get your butt in here every day, keep your mouth shut, and become a millionaire. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what Jones told this young player. So the, the older players... Because we had success right away, and we won the World Series in Minnesota, so when I came back to when I came back to the Orioles, I already had a a paved way of success, so to speak, to yep. to address the new players. And uh, and plus, when I came back in '99, I had played with Rip, and um, I actually coached Rip in the '80s. So Rip obviously knew sure. good things and anytime you have somebody like Rip in your corner, then the rest of the team is just going to fall right in place. Crow, managers that you work for, I know you only worked briefly for Buck you know, as his hitting coach, uh, but you worked for Tom Kelly. Who else did you work for? Oh my goodness, I worked for uh, Cal Ripken Sr. Right. Joe Altabelli. Right. Uh, Earl Weaver. Frank Robinson. Wow. Johnny Oates? Tom, Tom Kelly. No, I missed Oatsy. Yep. And then when I uh, came back to the Orioles, it was like a revolving door. Uh, I hope I don't leave anybody out. I worked with uh, Hargrove. Right. Were uh, you Mazzilli's hitting coach? Yes. Yep. Yes. And Sammy Perlazzo then, probably. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. And also Tremblay. And Tremblay. And, uh, yeah, so, so we had a... Uh, had a lot of general managers and a lot of uh, managers, yeah. which did not help the situation. You no. know, you like to you like to have a steady foundation with uh, a lot of surety that people are going to be here. And if a manager if a manager um, gets after you on any given day, well, if he's been there for a while, you know, not to. Not to have any bad reactions to it, but if a guy manages just passing through it, yeah, you know the players don't don't respect that. Yeah, so. I mean, to me, one of the prime things that's been very entertaining for me is watching. And I know they probably don't get along. Uh, you know, they're not uh, buddy buddy all the time. But having Duquette and Showalter here together for going on six years, the continuity I find so so valuable. 
Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? I agree. That, that's what I was uh, trying to allude to is the continuity, the uh, the uh, everyday life that's not, not going to change. Uh, you know, when I, I worked for Buck in uh, 2010, and we had uh, we got some players back off the DL when he joined the club, and we actually, I believe, won more games than we lost the second half of the season. And um, Buck asked me to come back, and I had already reached a point where I, I couldn't travel anymore. You know, yep. I just couldn't travel anymore, and I couldn't argue with any more umpires and just <laughs> all, all stuff like that. And um, Buck was disappointed because he. I was the only coach he asked to come back. And one of my words to him was, you know, we had worked together and it only took me a half a season to see how fabulous he was as yeah. a manager. And I said, Buck, you know what? I wished we had hooked up Earlier. when I was a little bit younger. Yeah. You know, we, we just turned this league inside out and, and he agreed with me and he said, Cole, you got to stay around, help me pick a hitting coach and everything. And I did. And I, you know, I still talk to Buck, and when he calls me, I, I go down and maybe work privately with a hitter or two, and you know. But right now, my, my main goal is, when I was the major league hitting coach, we had guys in the minor leagues that did okay, you know. And then um, they came to the big league, and my God, I, I had to start from scratch. You know, they, there was a lot of things, basic things, that they didn't know. So now, in the position I'm in now, when I tell Buck, Scope is ready, Machado is ready. Mancini is ready. Mancini is ready. Mancini is ready. That The hitting coach in the big leagues is not going to have to start changing his swing or shortening him up or something like that. He's just, just going to have to make him feel comfortable and go about the everyday life of hitting in the big leagues. You know, so uh, I've often said if I got a guy hitting 300 in a ball and I don't like his swing, it's not going to work at the next two or three levels. We'll start to make some subtle changes right then and there. You know, I don't a lot of a lot of coaches just look the other way. Well, he's hitting 300, that's fine. Meanwhile, it's a big loop in his swing or he's hitching or he's pulling off every breaking ball, so you know, you got to address the situations when you can. And to get back to something else, the the players in the minors are very, very receptive and very appreciative. And, you know, as soon as I walk in the minor league clubhouse, they say, well, if somebody doesn't recognize you, say a guy from a different country just got here. Somebody will tell him, well, that's Terry Crowley. He played 14 years in the big leagues, and he was a major league hitting coach for 25 years. You know, and that, that, mean, that means something. There's no question about it. Oh, my God. It's, I mean, Stan, you know well, it's hard to keep a job in the big leagues as a coach for well, one or two or three years. Not it when you're, really is. Not when, you're as ta- not when you're as talented as you are. Hey, we've got about, <laughs> well, we've got about, well. we've got about 10 minutes. I want to run through some players, okay? I want to sure. start at at the Frederick level right now, and then we'll zip up to the major leagues. Um, glad to. I'm yeah. looking at Frederick, and I'm seeing two hitters, both with a dozen home runs. One is shortstop Ryan Mountcastle, 
club knows that he's he may not end up being a shortstop. He may have to move. But Austin Hayes, the right fielder, also 12 home runs. They're both hitting 321, 322. Talk a little bit about those guys. They're, they're both very, very nice draft picks. And Gary Racich and, and his crew should be uh, patted on the back for that. They, they're good draft picks. They both cover the strike zone well. Austin Hayes is a very good high fastball hitter. I I would hesitate to say, you know, he's a finished product because I think he has to work a little more on the lower pitch and on some breaking balls, and and we'll get to that when when the time is right. And um, Ryan Mountcastle probably <coughs> is is the best twenty year old hitter that I've I've seen. You know, he um, that's not to say he doesn't have flaws. Yeah, I mean, if if it le- if you're a pitcher and it leaves your hand, he's probably going to swing at it. So he has to he has to zero in, tighten up the strike zone a little bit, um, be a little more patient. But what twenty year old kid is is patient? And I mean, as far as power goes, this kid has power that that you can't believe. When you know during batting practice or during the game. You know, he just the ball comes off his bat like like he's something special. I'm not asking you to compare him to Manny Machado, but just in terms of potential, does he have that potential to be that great a hitter, or is he more like a scope plus right now? That's um it's a fair question. It's a tough question because some guys at twenty years old just keep getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Other guys, when they reach 22, 23, 24, they level off a little bit. But being optimistic and just going by what my eyes tell me, he has a chance to be every bit as good as Manny or, you know, <laughs> I'd like to say you're better. So, you know, he's he's a very good young bat. Um I think when he gets accustomed to playing pro ball a little bit more and he, he settles down and has a little better plan on just the strike zone. I don't expect kids in A-ball to, to try to figure out what the pitch is going to try to do or not. In, in, in A-ball, you should have the ability to, even if a pitcher throws you a 3-0 and changeup, either lay off it or scald it. You know, I mean, the, the stuff is A-ball stuff that you're facing, so you yeah. don't really need a plan what you need is a good swing and if you if you develop that good swing then you can move right up to the organization let's move up to the next level at Bowie I know from talking to you off the air you haven't caught Mullins much yet but you've probably talked to the the batting coach is that Butch down there Butch Davis at Bowie Butch Davis very good very good batting coach what's he yeah. say what's he say about Cedric Everybody likes him. Yeah. Everybody likes him. He's a plus defender. He comes to play. He's a plus runner. He's a little guy, but he's got some pop. He switch hits. And, um, you know, the, everything about Cedric you have to like. Unfortunately, for a majority of the season, when I had a chance to go to uh, Bowie, uh, Cedric was in Florida rehabbing a hamstring, right. and 
and running is such a big part of his game that I know we took our time with that. You know, he was out for quite a while and um, made sure that it's a hundred, hundred and ten percent right. Crow, I know, I know you're not a metrics guy, but how important when you look at his stats, a young hitter like that, how important is the three eighty six on base percentage at this point in time? Well, that that is important because he um, he factors in to be you know a front of the lineup hitter, maybe yep. lead off or second. Yep, and he he factors into being an everyday player so when when you have an everyday player it's it's a grind you want to constantly keep pressure on the opposing pitcher and you want to constantly have the pitcher work throw some pitches get tired because nowadays when you know some teams when you get into the bullpen it's just a a w for the orioles you know you you get by the starter and then there's nothing out there not everybody, not everybody, but some teams are like that. So it's very important to uh, see some pitches, take your walks, get your base hits. Uh, Austin wins. He's he's not the prototypical guy you'd expect to see at Bowie. I think he's 25 or 26. But you told me when I was down there to watch Chris Tillman rehab, you, you told me like at 7 o'clock this guy's going to – be in the major leagues one day as a backup, a solid backup major league catcher. About 20 minutes later, he hits a three-run homer. You like Austin wins, don't you? I do. I do. Austin is um, a nose to the to the grind type guy. No, you know, I mean, he just he just grinds it out. He's a good defensive catcher, which that alone would make you yep a good backup catcher. Plus, he's got a he's got a stroke. Short, quick, and there is some power, but his stroke will work the same in Bowie as it as it will in the big leagues. Once now, if he gets a shot at the big leagues, it might take him a week or two to yep. to adjust to the speed. They throw a little harder in the in the big leagues, or what might appear to be harder because you can never sit on the fastball. If you, if you got a two and one count and you gear up for a fastball, you know it might be a slider or a changeup. So if they do throw a fastball, it's going to appear to be faster or is faster than what you're accustomed to seeing. So it'll take him just a little while to get his feet on the ground, but the stroke he has will work at any level. One other player down there at Bowie, DJ Stewart. Big improvements over the last year and a half uh, from where he was that year two years ago right out of uh, college at Florida State playing for Aberdeen. But still, he's hitting 243 on base percentage, not horrible. 332 shows a little pop. Eight home runs, 28 RBIs. He's a work in progress, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's uh, one thing. As soon as you mention a name to DJ Stewart to me, I see a strong individual. Right. He's not. He's not um, six five or anything like that. You know, he's six foot, but he's he's built like a fire plug. <laughs> He's strong as heck. He plays every second of every game wide open. You mm-hmm. know, he, I mean, he he busts his tail every day, and um, and the the best thing you can say about DJ is he's improving. He's improving. You know, he had to, he had to make some changes when he came into pro ball. He had, 
he had to adjust his uh, batting stance a little bit. He was too squatted down. And But I give a lot of credit to uh, Keith Bodie. Keith Bodie was the manager when he went to uh, Frederick. And Keith worked hard with him in conjunction with me and the batting coach that was there. And um, he, he started to blossom. He started to blossom. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's on the right track now. Yep. Still got to make some changes. But uh, a year ago, it would have been hard for me to tell you that I thought this kid could get to the big leagues. But right now, I, I think he can get to the big leagues. He's, he's in the process of turning the corner, it sounds like. Um, and yes, it does. Yeah. Still got some ways to go now, but he's turning the corner. Uh, a player you told me you liked a, a month ago uh, got promoted about a week or ten days later. Dave Dosh, the third baseman, now at Norfolk. Has he got a chance to be a, a major league player? Um, I would say yes. You know, it's uh, Drew Drew Dosh. Drew Dosh. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. He's uh, you know, he's it took him a couple years to to develop a swing. You know, I. I first started working with him when he was in Frederick, and um, he's 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 got some size, and he hits left-handed, does a good job on the field, and um, but the majority of his hits, he's a left-handed hitter, went to left field or left center, some to center field, and I know if you're going to play big leagues in today's game, play third base in the big leagues in today's game. You got to turn on some balls. You don't have to hit 30 homers, but you have to hit mm-hmm. some home runs. And little by little, we worked on that. And his swing is a lot shorter, a lot quicker. He's a lot more confident at the plate. And he was actually doing fabulous at Bowie when when we moved him. And uh, he was hitting four four twenty four through his first thirty three at bats there. Yep. Yeah, he he was doing fabulous and. Uh, I believe Brian Graham said, "Well, you know, now's the time to move him. Let's see, let's see what we have. Let's give him a chance to, uh, you know, shine his light a little brighter at AAA." So, yeah, Drew's a Drew's a hard worker. Got Drew's one a hard worker, and um, in today's game with 30 teams, you got to give him a chance to get to the big leagues too. Maybe you know. With us or, or with somebody else? Got two more players I want to hit you up. One minors and one majors, and we got two minutes. Uh, okay. One one player is Chance Cisco. Just started to hit a couple home runs at Norfolk. I know that park there can be a little uh, depressing or deflating to certain numbers. Is this guy a, a major league hitting prospect? Forget his catching for now. Can he hit? Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's a, a major league hitting prospect. He's a, basically a line drive hitter. He falls into the same category as Drew. Everything was left field, shortstop, some balls to center field. And little by little, we got him turning on the ball. Uh, Keith Bodie was at Bowie as the hitting coach when, when Chance was there. And between the two of us, we got him turning on some balls and hitting some balls out by the fence and and now, you know, in the game, he'll hit some balls over the fence and turn on some balls. So he's, uh, yeah, definitely a hitting prospect uh, with the bat for the big leagues. All right. A guy that uh, I know you loved a couple of years ago when you you first started to work with him, is Trey Mancini a prospect or is he a player already? He's, he's a player. 
I told Buck uh, um, a year and a half ago, you know, we have a little bit of a log jam, as you well know, being a big Oreo guy and everything. You yep. know, we got, you know, our DH spot is a little crowded. Our first base spot is crowded. And that's what Mancini does. To his credit, he worked hard. He's doing an okay job in the outfield right now. But I told I, I told Buck that you have a major league ready hitter in Mancini. And I've only said that to Buck about a handful of guys. Manny, Scope. I liked Caleb's bat when Caleb was ready to knock on the door. You know, but playing part-time and everything is going to diminish what, what Caleb can do offensively. But I, I told him Mancini is has no trouble with the fastball, no trouble to adjusting to the to the breaking ball. And that didn't come overnight either. When I first met Mancini, he had a straight uppercut swing. He'd hit some balls 360 feet to the outfield, and they'd go a mile high. And once we leveled that out a little bit, once we shortened him up from point A to point B, the kid, the kid took off. So, yeah, that's a, he's a nice find for the Orioles. Again, the scouting staff, I think he was an eighth-round draft pick and put him in our system and Brian Graham and, and the rest of the guys involved with the minor league system just, just moved him along exactly right. One last question about him. I'm yeah. look, when you have bat speed like Trey Mancini, is the toughest part – to slow him down just ever so slightly that he doesn't overcommit. I'm looking at the 44 Ks versus nine walks. When you start, when you have bat speed like that, it doesn't come from being patient. It's 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 a proactive approach, isn't it? Well, for me, bat speed is the amount of time it takes you to get from once you do all your mo- all your moving at home plate, the pitcher releases the ball. Now you're in a set position, basically, to fire at the baseball. How long does it take you to go from point A to point B? That's how I determine bat speed. So he has the bat speed, but he also, I told Buck this, he also has the ability to wait and make decisions on tough breaking balls. He doesn't have to cheat to get to a fastball. Consequently, you know, he's doing well. Now he's... How to say he's thrown in the deep end of the pool right here. These yeah. guys in the big leagues, I mean, they bring it every night and they got all have great breaking pitches and all. So just for a hitter to to hold his own for a half a year in the big leagues is is remarkable. And this kid is, is doing really good for us. So I think the second half of the season can possibly be even better than what he's done so far. All right, Terry, I appreciate your yearly visit on the show. Love you to death. And uh, stay healthy, all right? All right, and good luck with the show. Nice talking to you, buddy. All right, there you have it. Terry Crowley, uh, one of the best hitting coaches I know and one of the best guys I know. We're going to take a quick timeout. Got a surprise guest to end the show with, uh, the guy who's going to be in this seat tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for the first time in about six weeks. That's KZ, Ken Zalis. We'll talk to him in just a minute and a half or two. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, 
and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20, and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real. <laughs> Real quick, it's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster, and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week, we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud, or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yard. Yeah, we've, we've been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically, are we? Well, technically, we're in three three. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night at Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. Press box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Rich Dubroff profiles Orioles first base coach Wayne Kirby who is wildly popular among fans. Ravens beat writer Bo Smoka breaks down their roster post NFL draft and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And we are back on the bat around uh, the Saturday 10 to 12 programming on PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Uh, Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark, the Glenn Clark Show. Kyle Ottenheimer riding shotgun on that show. But joining us now is the guy who sits in this seat on Sundays and has for the past year and a half or so. And he joins us now because he's missed. How many shows has it been, Ken Zalas, that you've missed? I have missed five in a row. How much have you missed doing it? Uh, I've been doing it greatly. I I, I just uh, you know uh, I love doing the show. I I, I 
you know, it's part it's part of my weekly uh, my weekly chore almost, but but it's a chore that you you wake up and, you, and you're ready to go and do. So I, I missed it greatly, and uh, I can't wait for tomorrow. Get back with Sarita and Kyle and uh, and, and get going again. Get going. What does get going mean to you right now? Uh, well, uh, get going means I actually get to drive there, yep. number one. Uh, you know, so that, that's a great thing. Uh, permission to drive is a wonderful thing. But, you know, I, you know I'm behind. I feel like I'm behind in, in getting uh, fantasy information for especially fantasy football out to everybody on the on PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. So, uh, so it'll be the, the, the relaunching of, uh, of uh, the upcoming season for me and, and getting back uh, getting back to my normal routine. We'll start to get people ready for, for drafts that'll start in about a month uh, in some aspects and uh, go through what the Ravens have been doing. Uh, I really haven't had a chance to address uh, the listeners of the show from the draft on. So uh, we'll kind of play a little bit of catch-up tomorrow and uh, – you know, uh, you're going to join us and, and go over some Oriole stuff uh, because we can't uh, can't do a Baltimore radio show right now without getting into into some Oriole talk. And uh, you know, really, uh, you know, look forward to uh, the next couple of weeks and uh, getting a bunch of information out to the listeners uh, for for their fantasy football uh, uh, drafts coming up. I'm 65 years old. What time did we agree I was going to do tomorrow? Uh, I'm 49 and, and I don't remember much right now, so I don't know right now, but I think, I think it's 10, I think it's 1030. I think it is too. Ask Kyle to text me tomorrow so I don't miss it. All right. Um, yeah, we'll do that. Hey, so in your, your regular day job as assistant athletic director at friends at the friends school, how close are you to being able to get back to work? I'm hopeful that I'm about two weeks away. Uh, we got to get over one more hurdle, and uh, then I can get back to work. Uh, work there, and you know, going to take it easy a little bit this summer. That was planned anyway, but uh, I'll be uh, I'll be a hundred percent by the time uh, it's soccer season in mid-August again. All right, I got one question to ask you. We're talking to Ken Zalis, who's been out recovering from open heart surgery. Uh, and he's going to be in studio tomorrow with Sarita and Kyle for the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You've gotten to observe this past week with the uh, release by the Chiefs of Macklin uh, and the release by the Jets of Decker. Do you think one of them will end up a Baltimore Raven? Yeah, I, I tend to think that, that they will. It, it seems to fit the profile that the Ravens have done over the last, I don't know, 12 years or so, going all the way back to Derek Mason. It seems like every year uh, somebody falls in their lap uh, from a, a veteran standpoint, whether it be a middle linebacker or, or a cornerback or, in this case, a wide receiver. I don't know which one uh, they go towards. I think that they would probably prefer uh, Jeremy Macklin. Uh, when it comes said and done, I think the injury history is a, a, a bit less daunting uh, from Macklin's standpoint, although there is some injury history there. Uh, Eric Decker, uh, you know, has, has really struggled over the last three years or so with injuries, uh, missing most of last year entirely. So uh, I think it's Macklin at the end of the day. 
but I would really just like to see them get one. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want that one to be bolded. Um, as much as I would like him yeah. back, and, and how much he meant to this uh, organization, I, I don't know that that's a good fit anymore. Uh, I would like to see it be Macklin or Decker, but but I I, I think the team I would prefer uh, prefer Macklin. I can tell you one thing: they are not going to trade uh, for Eric Decker uh, unless he can totally rework the contract he's under because he's okay. owed about fifteen. He's owed about fifteen million dollars yeah, over the he, next two. Yeah, he's seasons, not. And that's just a, yeah. They're not. They're not bringing him in for that. I can hear you. Uh, one question. One last thing about Macklin. Is it between us and Buffalo, or is there any other competition? I think the Cleveland Browns would like to meet with him, but he has not set up a visit there. The uh, the Philadelphia Eagles were rumored to to be involved, but they had said in recent days that they're no longer interested right now. Uh, maybe that right now has to do with money or they look at the number of guys that they have on their roster as it's presented. Remember, the Philadelphia Eagles brought in Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. Yep. I don't know that they I don't know that they have room for him. So I think it's between Buffalo and the Ravens. Uh, it seems like, you know, being, you know, a little bit biased towards it, uh, I think that's a no-brainer from a, from a winning standpoint. Uh, maybe it comes down to money at this point. And I know the Ravens have, have cleared the deck a little bit in uh, in recent days to, to to be able to afford a Jeremy Macklin, but uh, right now there's no other player on board uh, because he is not he has yet to say he's gonna he's willing to visit the Cleveland Browns. And quite frankly, at his age and where he is in his NFL career, I can't see that as a fit. All right, folks, that's Ken Zalis. He'll be back in the saddle tomorrow. Fantasy and reality football show. 10 to 12 right here at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or you can watch it on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. KZ, welcome back to the battles. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. There you have it. KZ, Ken Zalis. Many thanks to Bonza Tufa for running everything today, as usual. We'll see you next Saturday on the radio. And uh, tomorrow morning, Press Box, Inside Press Box, 1030 on WMAR-TV with Terry Hazeltine and uh, Matt Slatus of the Aberdeen Ironbirds and also Bill Ordine. We'll see you soon. Baltimore.